Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hi, everyone. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. So today on the show, we are going to discuss the Nexium cult by way of Star's new four-part documentary called Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult. So well, let me just read the description here. So it's a four-part documentary series chronicling the harrowing journey of India Oxenberg, the daughter of Hollywood actress and the descendant of European royalty, uh, who was seduced into the modern-day sex slave cult Nexium, where she spent seven years. Over 17,000 people, including India, enrolled in Nexium's quote-unquote executive success programs. So this is a four-part documentary. Today on the show, we are going to go through our reflections and thoughts about each episode. That's kind of the way we've broken it up. Each episode is about an hour, just so you know, and it is on stars currently. And yeah, I'm also going to play the trailer just for everyone's thought process, I guess, just started off. But first of all, I wanted to say, what did you think, Kathy, of the overall documentary? Like overall, like worth a watch? Yeah, or? no, I mean, I think I know there's a few out there right now about this cult. Um, I mm -hmm. thought it, it gave it provided pretty good insight into the way cults are formed and just the traumatic bonding and the conditioning that takes place. <laughs> you know, desensitizing victims early on, keeping people in a highly aroused state. I, th I think they did a really good job at taking someone who, you know, otherwise, if you just met her, would appear to be normal and healthy and uh, that's smart and strong qualify what normal is but you know what i mean yeah someone who would not be susceptible to something like this which we've talked about anybody can be yeah. so i thought they i thought it would they did a pretty good job with it it's worth a watch i did too i think it's worth a watch it's four hours so it's not you know you're not going into a 12-hour situation so it's worth a watch i think partially because it's a personal story and i realized that you know if this family was poor and unconnected this you know may not have been made I, I i i do understand and acknowledge that there's been a lot of press around this being a puff piece in a way to have that family clear their name right, right. and and i understand that that's part of the press around this mm -hmm. uh however if you choose to just know that and know that honestly her being well-connected and influential is actually one of the reasons, as you'll see, to why she got out of the cult and why it was exposed in this way. I'm, I'm happy for it. <laughs> I'm happy that she's well-connected and, and that, you know, her mom was able to be influential in this because we do need to know about these things because small cults are so much more destructive in some ways than the larger ones, you know, because they go on for so much longer. Right. And I think, I mean, this is where uh, if you just choose to watch it as a psychology piece, which is what we do this for on the show, I think it's really interesting. You know, these are the, the, the ones that tend to get the most press, like Shannon saying, because there's celebrity around it. But hey, if that benefits people just to understand um, how easily someone can be, you know, conditioned into something like that, then great. Let's use the power of celebrity to spread that word. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, I, obviously, it's twofold. There, yeah. Uh, there are always personal reasons, and that we can gain from it as well. I mean, I know one of the other ones that people are talking a lot about is called The Vow mm-hmm. on HBO. Yeah. So that's another one if you're interested in watching some documentaries about the Nexium cult. I know some people have kind of a, a side interest in cults in particular. So, all right, let me let me just play the trailer real quick, and so we'll just set up what this is. So again, it's on Stars, and it's called Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult. My name is India. I was in a cult for seven years. Keith Ranieri is the most horrific cult leader. I had to ask permission to eat. He was doing demeaning sexual acts. It kept getting more extreme. The cruelty, it's beyond the pale. We don't know how many victims there could be. I had no idea the worst was about to happen. Okay, so that's the, you know, short little 30-second trailer that they put out for it. And again, it's for episodes and what you should know to begin with it is is it is the story of india oxenberg daughter of katherine oxenberg who's pretty famous as far as if you watch dynasty that's right back in the day and she's from i think she's from like royalty isn't she yes yeah correct so european royalty and so this is a pretty big deal so i'm just going to read the um the kind of the one-liner from episode one and then we can explicate anything we want to do from that. So the first episode is called Hooked, and it says, India Oxenberg, the 28-year-old daughter of actress Catherine Oxenberg, it does not say, of Dynasty Royalty, (laughs) uh, speaks out for the first time about her involvement in the Nexium and how she became a quote-unquote branded sex slave, which you don't learn until later, but that's how it started. I guess it starts with the five-day program. I know that much. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. how it started in that first episode. And you get to know their whole family. Grandma's there, too. Love the grandma. Grandma's <laughs> yeah. like, what the hell is this? She's amazing. I'm not feeling it. She was uh, right right from the start. They came over to the house, and I was like, this is a load of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Ah, Grandma, too bad nobody listened to I you. I know. Right? She had the most wisdom in all of this. I think she had some objectivity. Yeah. You know, mom, mom felt bad because she's the one that took her to the original. Yeah. I think mom saw it as an opportunity for them to bond. Right. And, you know, of course, like we'll get into cults don't want that. There's like a divide and conquer that happened once they realized that she was also picking up on something isn't right here. Yeah. And so that's what happens in the first episode, as I remember, is that they Mm -hmm. go to the five day retreat and they were both seeing it as, you know, India said, mom, do it with me. And mom was like, oh, my daughter never wants to spend any time with me. Let's let's go. That's amazing. And so they go. And of course, what is what do they do is they immediately split you up into groups after the initial orientation because they don't want families together. Mm hmm. Because they got to see who's susceptible and who's not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think um, one of the things that always gives me a big, like a big red flag to me, are you know we're going to just call it groups because let's say we're not identifying it as a cult yet, but maybe right. a group or a, some uh, an organization or foundation or whatever that that ha- that has the answer. Yeah, or, or like a belief system. Yeah, but they have the answer to what you're looking sense. for. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. 
because none of these people even had backgrounds in psychology or sociology. I mean, but well, they had the answer. The teacher, Nancy Salzman. Oh, right? she was a nut job. Yeah. So what, so what it looks like is that they're, what you're doing is you're signing up just so, just so you understand that a lot of people could have gone to this first sure. training like you and i could have signed up for it if we were in a i don't know searching kind of mood looking for answers well, whatever all over los angeles uh there are these all over the place i the, mean the, Tom, tim robbins or whatever his name is well, tony was, robbins i was actually referring to the church of scientology oh, yeah. i mean people will go to just like a meeting or two here yeah, and there yeah. just for celebrity stuff and then the next thing you know is you have mail for the next six years yes. from the church of scientology yes you do you sign up for what happened is they signed up for this five day program and they went and it's being given by this woman named Nancy Salzman, who is the quote unquote teacher. And so Keith Rainieri, who ends up being the leader of this cult is, is not there. It's this teacher and the teacher is on a big screen. She's not even there. And they're selling his brand and they're selling his brand but there's this teacher who's got some credentials who is doing the teaching and right. then they split you up into groups. And of course there's lots of group process and they have their people on the ground doing the trainings and stuff, which later you find out are all people who have been indoctrinated into the cult to recruit and, mm -hmm. and all of that. So they go to this and they get split up and India's on board. Yeah. I mean, from the outset, it's a very innocent, you know, workshop like thing that's yes. about yeah. you know how do you and we're and this is where i've said this before you and i've talked about this on the show there's a lot of sociopathy and narcissism in philanthropy in philanthropy oh yeah so when we're looking at you know the, the ken uh ranieri's concept of we're giving back to the world this is all you know for mm -hmm. the goodness of the world and blah 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 we find out later that it's really just like you know uh sexual sadist misogynistic <laughs> cult but yeah so i completely understand on this level how someone young and searching and identity identity issues and all of that like i was there i totally get i get that part in, in, entirely because also when you are younger, possibly not everyone that's young would be susceptible to this. I'm just saying like when you have some kind of an identity issue that you're looking for and you're also looking for your tribe and it's just that part of development, the developmental process that's particularly susceptible to that, like mm -hmm. teenagers and, and young adults. And what what you end up knowing later is that what you see is actually there's a lot of valuable things they're saying to you at first like that teacher is giving you a lot of concepts that have been uh -huh. would be the sort of uh lack of depth to it yes there's and a I, surfaceness just <clears throat> like narcissists right i was there's just a surfaceness i was it. just about to say that that's like the love bombing idealization part of the right. cycle right but if you're seasoned or in hindsight, mm -hmm. you can look back that that's being as the the you know they come straight out with the love bombing at the beginning, and as they after they've given you a lot of that, slowly they start to combine the systematic desensitization, which is basically getting them to promise that they will not look at themselves as a victim, and teaching them in ways to do really horrible or visceral things without, without even know that they're being violated, almost like expect to be uncomfortable. That's part of the growth, mm -hmm. which like Shannon is saying, there's a, there's a surfaced, 
you know, you'll hear people say that in sports or like when you're training for something like get in even yoga, get into that place of discomfort. So there's a universal message that learning how to sit in a, in a, um, in discomfort means that you're growing versus trying to avoid that or resist that. So they're taking what otherwise might be a healthy concept in certain contexts and use that as a way to say, if you start to suspect this is bad, it's only because you're uncomfortable and you are fine. Yeah. I, I noticed in this episode and I wrote down things along the way that they would say that were psychological jargon, not that the cult would say, but that some of the journalists or the people would say. And so I just want to make sure we comment on them mm-hmm. <laughs> because in the first episode I wrote down, quote unquote, somebody called Rainieri a psychopathic narcissist. <laughs> Which I thought was cute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I saw that too. Yeah. So, so whenever they put psychological jargon coming out of the mouths of people who may or may not be... Like the uh, media? Psychologically <laughs> trained. And I believe it was a journalist that they were interviewing. He was a part... Who was a really important part of the story because... Journalism, obviously, as you know, serves the public good and was, you know, could get the story out and, mm-hmm. st- and was, of course, a main factor in, in this whole thing being brought down. But I thought that was fun. Psychopathic narcissist. Yeah. Would you care to tell the people why that's not well, I mean, <laughs> an accurate for, statement? Well, first of all, psychop- if we're looking at this for diagnostically, a psych- psychopathy is not a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can't call somebody a psychopathic uh, narcissists, psychopaths and narcissists, not all psychopaths are narcissists as well. Um, so there's, I mean, there's problems in the sense that they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, nor is one even a diagnosis. So people will throw out sort of these, you know, they see somebody who's quote unquote crazy or maniacal and, you know, they like to throw all of those words together, but no, I don't believe that that would be an accurate assessment. Yeah. So I I want us to I want us to comment on those things. Although a fun phrase. Yes. Psychopathic narcissist. It sounds very, very accurate, doesn't it? Like when you think of this situation. He was a a narcissist, no doubt. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. My thought is when I, when I, so just for me to wrap up episode one, I don't know if there's anything Mm -hmm. else you wanted to say about it, but for me, I remember at the very end of the first episode, I thought, this is Scientology meets Jim Jones. Yeah. Because I know a lot about the Jim Jones cult, but it's, and it's not quite that because Jim Jones was a very different kind of animal, mm-hmm. but it's Scientology, like under the, you know, it's got that Scientology feel, but obviously near the end, you know, he was doing some Jim Jones stuff. He was mm-hmm. actually behind the, behind the, it never came to fruition, but behind the scenes, he was actually kind of talking about everybody dying together and stuff, mm-hmm. just like Jim Jones did. But, even in this first episode, I was like, ah, oh, he's got a Jim Jones flavor, like a wannabe type of situation. But the Scientology, you know, correlation was obvious, yeah. right? Because it's they're targeting people who, who have money. For sure. Uh, instead of Manson, who was targeting people who were like nobody knew or ha- society had forgotten. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, just to go back to the psychopathic narcissist comment for a moment, Alrighty. too, is that I, I didn't see him as a psychopath. He was, he was so centered on being the center of attention and being the, the object of worship to the point that he would lie or manipulate 
whatever it was to, to make himself look a certain way. Um, and we find out later on that he didn't even have half of these accomplishments. Psychopaths don't really go that far to do that. <laughs> they just like steamroll right through and who's ever in their way they, they take out. But he was very calculated and narcissists and, definitely do that. <laughs> yeah. He was very calculated in making sure that he was perceived very godlike and psychopaths really don't care about that. So maybe a malignant narcissist for sure, a psychopath, uh, I think we're giving him too much credit there. I think that, you know, one of the other things I just wanted to highlight on, which is goes back to that, just the, the mental breakdown that they start to do at the beginning without people even realizing it, which is they talked about how that, for, I think it's the first retreat where they did a really good job at keeping people in what they called a highly aroused state. And so we know what we know about the brain is that when we're feeding it dopamine constantly and we're making it appear uh, a, a, or it is aroused for a, a long period of time, the brain becomes addicted to whatever that is. And so they would hold these retreats that would just excite people and connect people. And it also was the beginning of that community that mm -hmm. was built. And so I think what, what those did was whoever came out of that and what wasn't really feeling it, um, either they would question their own discomfort and go, this is my problem and I need to work on that. Or it was a way of weeding out the people that weren't going to become part of that community. It's like, okay, bye. It was early enough to do mm -hmm. that. And then the, the rest of them just really strengthened. So I think that they did a really good job at building that community early on, which again, we know is really essential for there to be a cult following. So they did that right out, right out the gate. Absolutely. And it's essential for communities and groups and self-help gurus who have no agenda with you sexually or narcissistic. I mean, they might be narcissistic because they feel they can help you. I mean, there's a certain amount of healthy narcissism going on in, mm -hmm. in anything. I mean, sitting right here in the sure. room, if we didn't think we could educate you, right. we wouldn't be here. So there's a certain amount of healthy narcissism with anybody who decides to take up a, a mic or an opinion or an idea or to get up in the morning, honestly. It's hard because I, I realized that in the beginning, it was so what so maniacal about this too is that this is a situation that's such a grooming process. Mm -hmm. Like what you're very aware of over these four episodes is how long it all took, like how patient he was to get newer people in and how they run ran these gauntlets that took months and years. I mean, it was years before she was being raped and et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, yep. All right. Uh, episode two, let me just say what it is. So number two was called indoctrinated. The Nexium curriculum gradually transforms India into a true believer. So it just gets more and more where you understand that she's, She's in it. But you also start to learn about things, some ideas, ideas start to happen. Like he starts to say things like men are non-monogamous, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this teacher, Nancy Salzman, is, is backing all that up. She's really very destructive in her, in the way she uses the fact that she's female to to support all these ideas and as their teacher, et cetera, because 
and that rape isn't rape. Oh, God. Can we get into that for a moment? I would like for you to, yes. <clears throat> so this was really triggering for me, especially because obviously as clinicians, we work with people who have been sexually assaulted, raped, molested. Um, I've worked with sex offenders. I've evaluated violent predators. So he says in this documentary, as he's talking to the group, this is where he, he now has formed that trauma bond with the ones who have stayed. So now they're like, they're really wired to believe this dogma. And again, remember from the first episode, he's saying, if you feel uncomfortable, that's part of it. So don't question that, just kind of go with it. And he, he starts to have these, like Shannon was saying, he's starting to plant these seeds of, you know, men will be men and women have to deal with it. And women are not wired the same way. Therefore they, in a sense, he's not saying it, but he's saying they have to be faithful. Men do not and so if your man wants to go over and fuck whoever he wants to, it's because he has an urge to just constantly fuck. And he, this is how he's literally talking. Mm -hmm. So he says, the screaming of abuse is abuse itself. Rape wasn't rape. Rape isn't rape or wasn't rape if the victim chose to not see it that way. It just happened to my body. And so he even talks about um, how he could make an infant rapeable. And so this is really triggering for me because I used to work on cases where I was working with offenders who did that. Um, and I've, I've, so I had a really hard time getting through episode two. Yes, it was when it was, yes, <laughs> agreed. He, you, it just becomes very clear how disturbed he is. Yeah. But but I will say, I don't believe he was saying a lot of this in front of newer. No, this is like when they've made it to that next. Yes, and so what you're watching is, you're watching this documentary, right? And it's cutting between India's story and where she was in the process and what he's saying behind closed doors to his like private groups and the like higher level followers for lack of yeah. a better word just people have been around longer and are more indoctrinated he's having these private groups and sit downs and talks and all that and then you're cutting to india and her mom and grandma and stuff telling the story so you're really seeing like she didn't know any of this she's just being groomed 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 so that by the time she gets to those ideas and talking in those rooms with him she's fully on board but this is like years yeah. later so. yeah and he's you know he's essentially victim blaming and shaming you know calling it abuse is abusive and so getting these and we know that not that men cannot be victims of sexual assault they certainly can but we know that the majority are women if we're looking at this from a binary place and so again it's getting these women it's very gaslighting it's getting these women to then look back and assess what their reality was and were they just being dramatic and oh you know i mean i just recently had a conversation with a client whose mother said to her that the you know, that someone touching her private parts was the same as someone touching her arm and that she should get over it. Oh why God. was it so, why, why is, is that so, so bad? horrible? So yeah. this isn't something that is unique. You know what I'm saying? So like I can see how, it, let's say that particular person I'm talking about comes in contact with someone like this guy, that's going to be in line. That's going to be congruent to what her family has told her. Yes. And then she's going yeah. to say, oh, okay, well, so my primary caregiver also believed that and it made me really upset, but 
it's so being confirmed. It, but this person who wants to help me, right, and who's very powerful and loving and blah blah blah, like all that stuff they experience in the beginning, also says it. So, oh, okay, so this must be true. And gaslighting her, even though she's still got a, a stomach upset from it and right. feels it's wrong, right? It's like wow, there's all these external validations. These people that are you know caring for mm-hmm. me, and I have to get over it. my discomfort. I have right. to get over that. What did you feel about? So it gets even weirder. Um, <laughs> yeah. How did you feel about the the SOP complete? So learning how to be little boys taught women to hate themselves. Remember that whole part? I vaguely. Okay. So there's a part of this breaking women down and shaming them and basically just telling them that they're objects for men. Ranieri goes into this whole thing about how you don't understand what it's like to be a little boy. And until you fully understand that, will you then be able to grasp the fact that, you know, your, your male partners, husbands, boyfriends, whatever, you know, this is, they need to fuck, they need to blot, whatever it is, the bullshit that he says. So they send them to these camps where, and again, like Shannon's saying, this is now like years after that, the, the nice first five day workshop. Okay. Right, right. Where these women now their entire psyche and identity has been completely broken down, which is what happens in cults. They now have to dress like little boys. They have to talk like ah, little yes, boys. I remember. They have to, what? Uh, yeah, it's very, he was such a woman hater. <laughs> yeah. And then you have Salzman. And I feel like in all cults that are run by men and the majority of them are, there's a faithful woman who's there to just like completely back him up and recruit, which is so powerful. Yep. For people, yeah. for people who are very concentrated on um, gender expression. Right. Mm-hmm. So people who don't, necessarily embrace understand have studied the fact that we all embodied both masculine and feminine qualities within us and we and our culture puts all of that into uh, our gender expression and how we look on the outside and whether we're a girl or a boy on the outside and that that means you're feminine or masculine whereas I have both of those things. I have all the things. It depends on what f- part of my life right. you're in, whether I have, I tend towards more masculine qualities or I tend towards more feminine qualities. And I realize that's like largely a Jungian concept, but it, it makes sense, <laughs> especially in this, what you're talking about, because it's like, if you're just concentrating on gender expression, then you're going to like, oh, men this and women that. Yeah, it's yeah. like, are, are you insane? Yeah. Yes. Oh, by the way, yes, you are. I was thinking through, <laughs> I was thinking through this, not that they would, I don't know, I never say never, but would right. recruit someone like this. But I'm thinking this whole time, like, what if you're of a queer identity or like mm-hmm. non-binary or like, what do they do with you? They're <laughs> not going to probably recruit you. They're not. No. So really interesting. So those it was very day, dichotomous. Yeah, yeah. Those five day, tre- those five day programs are really vetting yeah. who, who they want, who's more susceptible. Obviously they wanted Indy because of her connections. Yep. And just the gender norming people yep. who fall more into that. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that she's an attractive young woman that mm-hmm. he would probably want to have sex with. Yep. So, you know, they're recruited. They're, yeah. Bought and sold in some ways. Yikes. And that leads into episode three, which is actually called Enslaved. Oh, boy. India, as a member of the secret slave master group known as DOS, which is, you know, okay, is subject to forced starvation, sleep deprivation, multiple forms of abuse, and separation from family. So this is when it kicks in, all of the horribleness. And one of the quotes I got was malignant narcissistic self was someone said he had a malignant narcissistic self. Mm. And I think that 
we agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yep. I mean, he was very sadistic, mm-hmm. um, very self-serving, very vain, very grandiose. Um, although he presents, you know, again, if, if you're not able to, if you're not seasoned, if you're not someone who regularly assesses this in hell, maybe even if you are and you're just in it. Yeah, I mean. You, you might find him incredibly charming. And, you know, he was very soft-spoken. And, and you know, Allison Mack, oh, God. Okay, so in the, the fact that she says to India, you know, this is this is not Ranieri's. This is, we're starting this on our own and he has nothing to do with it, which is a bunch of horseshit, we find out. So let me just orient people. Mm-hmm. Allison Mack is a higher level, let's say, a more experienced follower who's been indoctrinated and now is just like, you know, Amway back in the day. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> just like any, I mean, they weren't a cult. Let, let's be they're clear. They're still around. Too. They are, but there's a tiered system. And so Mac is a senior leader among, and, and one of uh, Rainier's henchmen, basically, henchwomen. And now India is one of her slaves. What happens is there's these little slave groups. And so you become master and servant. You become a higher level um, followers slave. And so Alison Mack has a little slave group and India becomes one of her little slaves. I just. Yeah. No, thank you. And she has to anytime India makes any decision, she has to literally text Alison and say, master, may I? Yes, it's a. So let me just add really quickly. One of the things that I started to get really annoyed by at this point in the story, as if there weren't other I was things say, to get annoyed. Took you this long? Yeah. No. One of the. I said I did say one of the things, yeah. <laughs> but um, as an aside, the fact that this whole cult and this whole situation and people who watch this who are who might not know too much about the sadomasochistic or the BDSM community. They began to take these women's, what I believe that some of these people in this cult, I don't know who, I'm not pathologizing or diagnosing or t- saying anything about anybody that I saw on the screen, but some of the people in this show, I would believe, had natural urges to play in the power dynamic or the sadomasochistic or the BDSM in a healthy, constructive, consensual way. And they took that and they used and they corrupted it instead of it being nurtured and enjoyed in a consensual way Mm -hmm. between consensual adults in their sexual lives elsewhere. That's nobody's business, right? That Mm -hmm. like has nothing to do with any of us. But I just kept seeing these themes like, there are people within those communities that literally have relationships where they play games like that, That's where right. they call each other master and slave and they have consensual sex and they exploited it. They tie each other up and they have a fantastic time and, and there's communities that embrace that and it should be naturally normally nurtured and enjoyed because uh, kink is a thing that anyone can enjoy mm-hmm. in a consensual way. And I just kept, I started seeing all these yeah. themes and I'm like, ah, oh, they, so, cause you know, some of these people might've had that and had they been adopted or taken in by one of those communities it in a natural and lovely yeah. and nurturing way that were of expression of, mm-hmm. of identity expression. I just, oh. no, I think you're, uh, that's a really good point. And I think it goes back to when you were talking about episode one, where they took really surface level ideas yes. and then made them, you know, just like I was saying about tolerating discomfort. That's yes. another one, like in the right context, that's, yes. that's really healthy. S and M in the right 
uh, community is safe and, and consensual. And like you said, a way to express, um, the master and servant thing in this, I think what was so different about it is this just further solidified the trauma bond. This was, it taught someone to be addicted to deprivation, which we know is a a big part of traumatic bonding or Stockholm syndrome. Right. So they were thankful for every little crumb the master threw. Yeah, it was intention. It was intention. It was all intention. It's like if your intention is to express yourself sexually in a wonderful and healthy way and within your own community and consenting adults, that's a great intention. If your intention is to control and rape and harm emotionally and then here's what you get right you know but i i did want to make that distinction because Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people are going to watch this that don't have a kind of a more uh inclusive knowledge of different kinds of kink or different kinds of sexual choices are gonna think master and slave is bad and it's like well but there's a there's a situation for that well and i think that what another thing that distinguishes it which i wrote here and i think they said it in this episode was the biggest difference is this was about reprogramming beliefs and fostering obedience Mm -hmm. and not a consensual Mm -hmm. or or a conscious way right right if somebody's conscious and consensual and that is a community that they are a part of that's a very different thing versus this is brainwashing, reprogramming, and dangerous. This is someone that they're rehardwiring the brain to be addicted to deprivation mm-hmm. um, in all aspects of their life, not just in like, you know, a safe, consensual, sexual, whatever. Right. So yeah, no, completely different, but I'm glad you made that distinction. So this is the episode where Keith uh, Ranieri begins to, he starts out by raping her orally. Yeah. And she, India, and it wasn't about sex, of course. It was about power and control, which is what rape is actually about. And then she's she's very dysregulated by this, and it's very uncomfortable, and she doesn't like it. And if, and she continues, you know, she doesn't punch him or kick him out or run away or any of that. She's already too far in. She's already been indoctrinated because we just know this by the way she talks and acts and she admits to that. And she basically is told when she goes to, I believe Nancy Saltzman, somebody in the story and she, or Alison Mack or both, she actually goes to them and says like, this is really, I don't, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. I'd really rather it's not happening. Is this really required? That type of thing. And they tell her to override her bodily reactions. In other words, if she's uncomfortable, then it's a problem with her that she's having right. a problem and she needs to over, I wrote down the quote, like override your bodily reactions. And that is such. They a, told a, her to go do an EM. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is what? It's the, uh, the stimulus response disconnection. So essentially it's, it's, uh, you know, it's another way that of desensitizing them from their own, uh, reality. So it's like, if you're having a problem with this, you need to go do an EM session, which will teach you to, to, to cope and sort of dissociate from those uncomfortable feelings. In another, in other words, they're saying it teaches you to like what's happening to you. It teaches you to accept more trauma. This is what abusers do to their victims Mm -hmm. is they gaslight them and say, no, what I'm doing is fine. Your reaction is wrong. Your emotional reaction, your feelings in your body, your thinking it's wrong is wrong. So sort that out because I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And this is what kids are told by their abusers. This is how it works. And it's hard for us to understand that this is a grown woman, smart woman with resources who believed that. Yep. That is what happens. And that is what happened in this situation. 
you know, there are people who, there are clinicians who actually work on helping people exit cults and work on, work with families who have lost family members to cults. And so in this episode, you start to see the beginning of the unwiring, um, how she gets the tattoo covered up and, or I mean, the branding covered up, how she has to work with a nutritionist because she learned food deprivation as part of, you know, her identity and, and what that represented. So you start to see her now having to do all of these different forms of treatment. She apparently meets this nice guy or whatever. So this is where it gets a little Hollywood for me. Not that it took till four, but you know, it's the nice little close it up with the cap on the end kind of thing. Yes. But, but that is, you know, what, what does happen for people who come out of these situations is there's a lot of therapy and different modalities that need to be used to get that person to, you know, rehardwire what was, you know, changed. Yeah. So what happens is obviously, uh, India does get out of the cult and leaves the cult and, is in therapy for many, many years and probably still is and, and all of, does all the things that Kathy is d- discussing. Now, one of the things that happens is everybody gets arrested. Rainieri gets arrested, Nancy Salzman, Allison Mack, and part of the problem right in the beginning before she starts to go into therapy and all that other healing stuff is that she's terrified that she's gonna there's going to be charges pressed against her because there were charges pressed against some of the followers because a lot of the followers and there's obviously psych around the women who hurt in the name of the cult leader, you know, they did a lot of illegal and hurtful things to other women, mm-hmm. including Allison Mack uh, and what she did to her own quote unquote slaves. And there were several of them. And so what did end up happening is that Rainieri on October 27th night, uh, 2020, he was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to 120 years in prison. And then there were also charges brought up against uh, Nancy Salzman and Allison Mack and India was not charged mm. because she managed to, and you, you hear this along the way, she managed to not do anything that was illegal. And she also helped quite a bit because right. at one point Allison Mack says, Hey, this is when she was still a trusted member. Hey, India, will you go to my house and pick up some of my stuff and so and move it because I've been arrested, et cetera. And so India goes to Allison's house and gathers up her belongings and she finds a flash drive. And in that flash drive is a lot of evidence uh, condemning Allison Mack and all these emails and showing, showing how they were really communicating behind. And that's actually the moment where India goes, it's real. I, I was, uh, this is all, you know, she actually kind of clicks into the fact that of what's actually happening and, 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 and implodes for herself. Right. Cause seeing it, having everybody in your life tell you that it's, that it's not healthy and it's terrible what's going on and all of that. But she's been so indoctrinated and so gaslit for so long that, but then when she saw Allison Mack, who had been her, her master, obviously for some time, have all this information and all of the behind the scenes conversations that were happening of all of the stuff that maybe India suspected, but was of course told, no, no, that's not happening. Right. Rainieri's not behind all of this. It's just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. she saw it all there in black and white and then made the decision to give it over to mm. investigators. And so that was really a, a pivotal moment. And so again, in a story perspective in this documentary, like the climax, right? That's the right. climax of, right. of the hero going, 
I'm, this is, I'm confronted with the truth and I'm done. And so then, and then it begins the healing process. And they show a lot of that, like how she got her, how she had to deal with her brand. She had to have multiple surgeries yep. to cover up a brand because a brand is not an easy thing. No. I'm struck by, I, I made a, a list actually while I was watching this whole thing of all of the things that they did as a cult that led us to this place. I was yeah, going to share it with share. you. Separating friends and family. Mm-hmm giving a special title like the superior grandiose titles they used a lot of titles in their thing uh number three would be like desensitizing them to a lot of things then reprogramming their beliefs which of course fosters obedience like brainwashing mind control and and the obedience changes your beliefs uh they weaponize followers which is basically what they did with allison mack Mm -hmm. they weaponized her with the abilities that they had to then do that to others right it's the systemic it's you could actually look at it like a systemic abuse in a family sure the grandfather abuses the 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 child and that child abuses their own children uh blackmailing lots and lots oh my god we didn't even really get into the all that so so blackmailing what they would do is they would uh take in they would take video of you telling personal things that could get you in trouble or would be intensely shaming publicly. And they would take videos of you doing that under the guise of this is to help us trust you. Mm -hmm. So blackmailing, of course, domination, which like I said, is I have an issue with there's them like, you know, taking domination and using it for these horrible, evil, evil ways. Uh, use of women to dominate other women. So victim and victimizer. Like I, I imagine Alison Mack has her own story about, yeah, I'm sure, you know, being a victim and then becoming a victimizer. And she's still in, in prison. I think so. Yeah. I think she's there. Yeah. For Cause her. this is really, I mean, he, they only got charged in October of 2020. So right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then she's really mm-hmm. new. Uh, the psychological and physical rape, of course, is very controlling. Uh, there and the insatiability you know, being insatiable with his desires. And megalomaniac world domination is a part, often a part of cults, is that someone is a megalomaniac and wants world domination. And that's what you really understand, that behind the scenes he was doing the Jim Jones thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I also wrote down uh, number 12 was predatory alienation. So yep. alienating um, in a predatory way. Uh, there was one statement. Uh, they made a statement about Jim Jones. It was the same guy that said psychopathic narcissistic at <laughs> <in> the beginning. <laughs> and near the end, I wrote it down because I do happen to have a lot of knowledge about Jim Jones. And I was like, I don't agree with that. And so I wanted to make the statement that um, he makes a statement about how Jim Jones's followers followed Jim Jones because they wanted to serve Jim Jones. Right. Many were forced. You know, everybody remembers the big picture of when Jim Jones killed everyone and everyone drank the Kool-Aid and died. And those horrible pictures of all those dead bodies in the desert, in the forest, in the desert. And Many of those people were forced to drink that Kool-Aid and there were babies among those people. Babies don't give consent to drink Kool-Aid and die. So I just wanted to make that little statement because he said that and I was like, "Um, no, he was trying to say that, you know, these people did what they did because they wanted to serve Keith Raniere. Now, 
I understand that that's a piece of it. And that, of course, this is a documentary where I'm sure it was his statement was taken out of context for sensational stuff. And, and it just went, goes by in the documentary, like nothing. Cause I mean, you hear that statement and you go, yeah, of course they wanted to serve Jim Jones. But for me, I was like, ah, uh, no, that isn't the reason why they drank the Kool-Aid. Many of them were forced. And by that point, um, he had taken all of them hostage. Many, many people were trying to leave. Anyway, I wanted to make that clear because it annoyed me. Yeah. <laughs> I was annoyed. I was like, oh, no, that's not true. I just think that most people believe that they aren't susceptible to being pulled into something. But if 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 something about a particular group hits you spiritually or, you know, I don't know, represents something that's personal to you, even if there's just a component of that, mm-hmm. just always question whether you have autonomy mm-hmm. in those situations because the second it becomes dogmatic and the second you feel like yeah what I asked my question what I asked myself is if I shared my opinion right now how would that be taken and if it was not the shared opinion of the group right can I be auto- like you said can I be autonomous but also can I question yeah you know because megalomaniacs and pathological narcissists <laughs> yeah that don't exist. Um, and narcissists don't like to be questioned. No, and they, they're very skilled at pretending like they really want to hear what you have to say while they're deconstructing yes. you. And so that's my rule. And anytime I get to a place with anything I'm affiliated to, if I start to feel like, you know, if I really shared what I feel or what I'm believing right now, and it wasn't the general opinion, would we have a discussion or would that cause me to be you know looked at as a uh, as a um delinquent in the group that is really a, a, a differentiating factor for me as to whether i stay because you know we should be able to talk about difficult things and explore that regardless of what someone's opinion is mm-hmm. we should be able to say this is how i feel about it can we have a discussion about that well and then i mean unless it's explicitly offensive obviously no but, no yeah. understood like some people certainly could take that to the nth degree but yeah. i think everybody knows what yeah. we, what you mean by that i would add extrapolate that or apply that to the organizations that you work for yes apply that to your personal relationships yep apply that to your family your intimate relationships your friendships if if you say what you think and feel and others just dismiss you or don't call you back anymore or whatever it is. And it's not something that's offensive and it's not something that is mean or horrible or any of the things that we're not talking about. I think you know what we're talking about. Like apply that in relationships. It's like, you know, Kathy doesn't like the same horror movie as me. And it's okay. It's okay. I'm still going to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I tried to lighten it up there. But but also, do that. <laughs> be, be sure you're autonomous in your relationships. Mm-hmm. It's just life advice, right? Like, be autonomous yep. in your relationships. And allow others to be autonomous, please. Like, right. You could get mad and whatever. We can have different opinions. We can have different opinions. And so, maybe you get mad, you get irritated, whatever. That's pretty normal. But talk it out. Yeah.
So there it is. Cool. I don't know. We ended up on a little life advice yeah. at the end of the call. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening. This has been an occulty episode of Terror Talk. <laughs> My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy Sleepsy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.